0: This is Finding Normal, Life After Spiritual Trauma. Thank you for joining us as we focus on healing, finding God, and feeling a little less crazy in everyday life following a toxic faith experience. Hi, welcome to the first episode of Finding Normal. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about our background and then jump right into our first topic. To start with, we can talk about where we're coming from. Um, Both of us are kind of coming from an independent fundamental Baptist church background, um, also known as the IFB, if you've heard of it. My parents uh, became Christians later in life, kind of middle aged, and we went through a number of churches in different denominations eventually landed in an ifb church um, a couple of ifb churches Uh, the one we ended up in i grew up in um, through high school i went to college there went to seminary there and you know so that's where i kind of was at the time
1: and i grew up going to an ifb church um just the the one that i can really have any first distinct memories of it we were there um, for most of my growing up years, but it was a smaller church. Um, and it wasn't one of the big mainstream ones. There wasn't a, um, there wasn't a huge youth group. There wasn't a Christian school there, um, or anything like that. So, um, it was a lot more like a family atmosphere, small town. Um, so that's what I grew up in though. But we, I grew up going to the camps, um, like um, Camp Kobiak and Northland. Um, those were, you know, a couple typical camps that a lot of, a lot of IFB churches um, sent their kids to and lots of um, different youth rallies in our area um, and interacted with some of the, became familiar with some of the bigger name churches of the IFB, but really wasn't aware of the the scope of that movement or just... How really politically charged it all was, and um, the whole celebrity status of um, of certain pastors in that movement. But then I did end up going to the college, the Bible college at the church where um, Chris had gone to um, the Christian mm-hmm. school there, and then he was in the college. He was a year ahead of me.
0: Yep. So we met and we met in college, um, knew each other. Um, I was in I was in seminary Rachel was done with college when we got married. Um uh, we stayed there after I graduated from seminary for a little while.
1: 5 years.
0: 5 years? I, yeah. <laughs> it did not seem like a little while. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so we were there for a while. We were in the same context for a little while. Um but around that time we started to notice I would call them inconsistencies between what we'd been taught was godly Christianity, and what we saw, the behavior and actions we saw from leadership um, at times. And it wasn't, it wasn't like this huge, giant thing. It was like, there were little inconsistencies here and there, and lots of little things, and things would bother us. Like, that's, that's not right. That's not quite right. But we didn't know what to do with it. We didn't know what was happening, we kind of wondered: Is this part of something bigger? And but-
1: we were really convinced that the things that we had been taught there as godly Christian behavior mm-hmm. that that was the right thing. And having come, I think it helped that I came from a place where I didn't, I didn't realize that certain people were supposed to be allowed to get away with certain behaviors. <laughs> so I was. Just thinking, well, we're all going to do the right thing, right? And you know, I I didn't care that someone was in a position of, you know, of supposedly being untouchable because of who they were related to or what position they held. I thought um, we were encouraged as college students. We actually signed a, a covenant saying that you would talk to fellow students or report them if they were breaking the rules. And not that I think that's a great thing, but. I thought, you know, well we're supposed to do that. So I did that mm-hmm. and man, I got backlash from that cuz I didn't realize that certain people were allowed to get away with stuff just because of who they were. And so we that was some of the inconsistencies that we were seeing and um and what we were actually taught was godly Christian behavior. There's a lot of legalism in that. So mm-hmm. um before we go on I think we should define that term what do we mean when we say legalism
0: yeah legalism in a Christian context is the teaching that you have to behave a certain way or you have to perform up to a certain standard in order to please God you have to act a certain way for God to use you or for God to bless you or for God to be happy with you um, that is legalism that is adding law based thinking into the christian life
1: it's a performance mentality very much you have to earn god's favor there's and there really is no grace there there can't be grace mm-hmm. because grace is grace can't be earned it's a gift so there's really no grace in a system that requires you to Perform and earn favor.
0: The odd thing is, it was not the legalism that bothered us at first. We were very dedicated to the good, (laughs) to the rules. We were and we were great legalists. I was. (laughs) I mean,
1: I I can follow rules all day long. Just tell me what to do, and I can do it. We were very
0: dedicated (laughs) to it. We were very dedicated to those principles and those rules and. So that what bothered us to begin with was inconsistencies and in behavior that didn't line up, where the leaders would act in a certain way.
1: Not it's the like, people. That's not right. Not the fringe people. Not the not the not the students or the the church people who you know. Oh well, we know that they're not really on board anyway. It was it was the the leaders who taught us these things because I came. My church was not actually super legalistic. I mean there were influences of pastors at different times that believed different things, but, um, really they just kind of, as far as standards and things, it was more like, well, you, you know, everybody just does what God wants them to do individually. It really wasn't legalistic and, and controlling like that. And then I went to college and it was like, Oh wow, these are the right things and this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And, but then the people that were telling us that taught us that really instilled that in us, they weren't doing those things or they were overlooking it when um, when other staff members did those things. And it, it was just um, it was very odd.
0: <laughs> yes. And the, the odd thing is that um, and we'll dig we'll dig more into legalism in depth in other episodes and talk in, in more in more detail about that. But it wasn't um, it wasn't until later that we recognized the dangers of legalism. And right. how unbiblical it was, I, I think what a, bothered us at first was the was the inconsistency, and that started to put cracks in our thinking, so yes. we started to really search for what's what's really true here like what what needs to be real truth here
1: and I think a lot of people who leave controlling systems um do it because they recognize these demands these standards them these these legalistic expectations for what they are and as being um some of them are just ridiculous i mean it depends on exactly what i mean every every controlling system has their own little quirky things but Mm -hmm. um you know whatever they are like that's what people kind of um Realizes a problem and they they reject that and and leave the system because of that. We kind of did it backwards. <laughs> um, so after, um, but it was throughout college. I kind of noticed these inconsistencies. Like Chris said, there were like cracks in this you know perfect um, picture that they the perfect image that was painted there of serving God and um, having you know truth that. Really, other people didn't teach anymore. We were the we were the right ones. We were the, the holy ones, and um, but then the personal attacks started um, around the time we got engaged, like during our engagement. And I'm not even sure why they started. I mean, I have some suspicions, but they started right. before yeah. we really. I mean, we made some decisions that I know people weren't fond of. Um. And we'll you know, we'll we'll share more of our personal story later. This is kind of brief where we're coming from.
0: But there were personal attacks. But it happened
1: before not that. Not
0: even clear not with a clear starting point. It, yeah. These personal attacks would happen.
1: It's kind of any excuse to to needle us, to mm-hmm. to lash out at us. Um, and it came from these same leaders that we really um, these leaders we'd respected and and looked up to as spiritual mentors. Mm -hmm.
0: The feeling at the time was that maybe this is, maybe this is happening in this institution, in this church, because of a few difficult people, a few people that the way they lead is just hard to handle. So maybe that's what it is. And we figured if we can get out, we'll go somewhere else. We'll serve somewhere else then maybe we can leave that behind. It'll be better.
1: And also because we thought, well, maybe it's because they have a school. They have a, um, they actually have three schools. Um, there's a an academy, a music school, and a college there, and in seminary. Um, so these people, for us personally, like they were used to um, telling us what to do because having a certain level of control over us because we were students for so long there. Mm -hmm. And then I thought, well, maybe they're just having a hard time with people transitioning to adulthood. Like, they don't realize they're really not allowed to tell us what to do anymore.
0: (laughs) It can Um, be a unique situation. um, So it's
1: it's a a school thing, right? Like, they're trying to just make everybody else follow the rules that the students have to follow.
0: And it can be an unusual situation. You have a hybrid church and institution. Yeah. Sometimes they're separate. You have... Churches, small and large, in the IFB, and you have Bible colleges, institutions, universities that are of various sizes as well. Sometimes you have these local church, college, seminaries, schools, they're all kind of combined. Yeah. So it, that can present an unusual situation and yeah. its own difficulty. So we thought maybe that's it.
1: Yeah, so, so we so- determined we were not going anywhere that had a school because mm-hmm. we didn't really didn't want to run into that again.
0: So we went to a church where it was smaller there was no school, different people.
1: We had really good friends there We had
0: good friends there we thought this will yeah now it'll be better we can follow what we've been taught we can stick with it it'll be great and yet we saw some of the same things happening there
1: and right before we um, just like within the few weeks or months before we left, the church we had been at for so long the college church i guess i'll call it Mm -hmm. we had read some books about spiritual abuse and it was really interesting because all those little cracks in their perfect image that we had been seeing for so many years and we're like what is going on is this stuff all connected is it just because it's these people like it was really um just mind-boggling like there's so many little things wrong, and they've got to be connected somehow. And they actually were, come to find out, and there's a name for those, um, some of them, and really the underlying cause of all of them. It's called spiritual abuse. And that's we have, um, as our podcast, we mentioned spiritual trauma, um, which I guess you could almost use interchangeably with spiritual abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, and we should probably define that before we go forward any more to what is... Spiritual abuse.
0: Yeah, so spiritual abuse is, um, in a brief definition, spiritual abuse would be any time that someone, a person, puts themselves in God's place to control someone, to tell them this is what God wants you to do. This is what God wants for your life. In any detail where the Bible doesn't specify it, where that person is using their position of spiritual influence to manipulate, exploit, harm, or otherwise control somebody else.
1: And it can go along with other forms of abuse. For us, it went along with emotional and psychological abuse. Um, Mm. and but I, Probably the most well known cases have to do with sexual abuse because that's just something so um so tangible and just so horrifying when mm-hmm. committed by a church leader so those are definitely the more well known cases I mean and they're illegal <laughs> so right um that's those are the more obvious ones but you know it's, spiritual abuse can just occur separate from any other form of abuse as well mm mm-hmm. But we, um, if you want to learn more about spiritual abuse before we even really do- go into that in a future episode, you can read um, the first book that we read about it called Healing Spiritual Abuse by Ken Blue. And it's really not a long book. It's an easy read. It has a lot of um, biblical foundation for us as the legalists that we were. That was really important that someone not mm-hmm. just be spouting off you know, their ideas and whatever. It really has a lot of... Um, um, biblical support for that, and it was really eye opening um, and helpful to us. So, you can read that. Um, that was but, the
0: first book I read about yeah. spiritual abuse, and it took it walked right through Bible passages showing where it is there's spiritual abuse described in the Bible, addressed in the Bible. So it's that was very helpful to just give a good foundation of something that was right under our noses, but we hadn't recognized before.
1: Yeah, so we realized that was happening at the college church, um, but we were getting out of it. And honestly, I remember as we drove away from our apartment in that town thinking goodbye and good riddance because <laughs> I was just so ready to be done with that place. Um, but then we went to the new place, the new church. It was much much smaller and mm-hmm. we had good friends there that we thought would be lifelong friends and we would minister together with them and um we what we now had a name for started happening again. And it did not start in the form of personal attacks. It was right. we noticed it through the preaching which was so weird because to us because at the college church the preaching was fairly nebulous i mean the teaching in the school settings was a little bit more um pointed yeah um but and it was more stuff like we'd heard in meetings and you know things like that though but we, we, we had <laughs>
0: not we had not encountered spiritual abuse overtly happening yeah. from I the mean, pulpit i mean
1: this was like you felt like someone was beating you over the head with the bible and mm-hmm. it was it was crazy like we would just sit in the sermons on sunday morning and look at each other like did he really just say that are you kidding me and i took notes because i wanted evidence for later and um i mean i have some stuff written down and it was just it was just since it was just really really weird um so
0: from what it, we've read and things that is actually a little bit more common to, that it happens yes. through the preaching
1: it, but it, we hadn't
0: experienced it before and we thought this church would be free from that and
1: it what like it was very strange because i and again i mean i can only speculate as to why the first few months was great and were great and then there was a sudden turnaround um and it started becoming just blatantly abusive and then some personal things started happening mm-hmm. it's like no 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 we're not doing this again um and throughout that whole, year, we were only there for one year. I mean, seriously, we're like we're done with this. No more spiritual abuse for us. Um, and it, we'd been there. I mean, it was probably only about six months of that was actually really bad. Um, the first few months yeah. were were great, and we're like a breath of fresh air, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Anyway, we'll get we'll go more into detail later about that. But. Um, but throughout the whole time we'd been reading and researching, and really had this desire like why does spiritual abuse happen what what's going on like why does this happen and and what what is motivating it, and how do you recover from it, and how do you prevent it from happening and um just really delving into hey, it's bad theology um it's not that's that you, the
0: time we started it. It was at that point that we started recognizing the contribution legalism had yes. to a controlling, abusive church environment. And, But yes, it was so much research and reading, and we were having discussions trying to figure out why does this happen and digging down to what's the root of all of this? Why is this happening in such a totally different church context? Right. But it's the same thing happening again.
1: Right. And, I mean, the pastor, when we were being interviewed to to go to that church, he was very clear. He's like, this church is not that church you're coming from. And we're like... Amen, brother. (laughs) Like we do not want it to be that church because that church is pretty rotten right now. Yeah,
0: he seemed to he seemed to give a very clear distinction between the way they did things and the way the church we were coming. But apparently, he wasn't
1: talking about the spiritual abuse aspect of it. It must have been something else that we Hmm. were missing. But um, yeah, so it was not a pretty ending there. It was it was really heart wrenching for for us to leave there and... We'll get
0: more into our specific journey and particular parts of our journey as we get into different topics. We'll probably give more specific illustrations. We've said a lot about pastors as well. I do want to say up front, this this podcast and our discussions are not an attack on pastors. Um, A lot of spiritual abuse happens in a context with a pastor being spiritually abusive toward a church congregation or members of his church. So you'll hear us give illustrations in those contexts, but we're not trying to attack pastors in general. We're not trying to attack a particular church or pastor. We've seen it happen in several different contexts. I've personally spoken with pastors who have expressed a desire to me to avoid this kind of thing at all costs. And they're being very, very careful to shepherd the sheep under them very carefully and not stepping over that line, which is great. There's pastors out there who are trying to be very careful. So you'll hear illustrations in that context. We're not against pastors. We've got friends who are pastors and it's not, it's just the a common occurrence of that. And it's the quickest way to explain what's going on, but it can happen in other contexts where someone has spiritual influence over another person.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you feel defensive about like, we shouldn't be saying anything bad about pastors at all. I know there are some people who think that way. Um, Why don't you think of it in reframe it in the context of another vocation? Um, Think of teachers. Teachers are generally amazing people and want to help children and reach, help them reach their full potential and assist them. I, you know, you read stories about teachers who sacrifice time and money that they didn't have to to help Mm -hmm. children but then you read about a few teachers who are pedophiles and do you think that we should not talk about that and that we shouldn't put them make them have consequences because of their actions um no Uh, you would say absolutely not and um so pastors are not exempt from that just because of their vocation Mm -hmm. so that's why we are we're not afraid to talk about it um right with that i mean You can't commit spiritual abuse if you're not in a position of spiritual influence, who pastors are the most prominent people with a position of spiritual influence. Now, parents can also commit spiritual abuse Mm -hmm. um, as well as Christian school teachers or youth pastors, youth leaders, even if they don't have a pastor title, um, you know um university professors theologians you know it's mm-hmm. if you're if you're in a position of spiritual leadership that's where the spiritual abuse comes from this podcast is for people who are trapped in spiritually abusive settings or high control settings you might want to call them that um because you might not know if it's actually spiritually abusive now you you can be in a spiritually abusive Setting and not realize it because it might not be happening to you. Mm-hmm. Um, especially if you're just like, oh, I only come on Sunday mornings or, you know, I just show up for the sermon and then leave or, you're, you know, some of it happens. I mean, honestly, pastors can be spiritually abused. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say assistant pastors are probably in one of the most vulnerable positions to be spiritually abused or staff members at churches.
0: At larger churches. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um so this podcast is for someone who might be stuck in it and feels like they're all alone. For those 5 years at that church, we felt like we were sometimes we must be the crazy ones because everyone else is just sitting there and acting like everything's going on perfectly normally that there's nothing wrong that these are great leaders and great people of God. So um so if you feel like you're all alone and you're going crazy and you're the only one who sees something, this is this is for you. You're not alone. And for the people who have left it and are trying to heal and are still trying to figure out how to, do they even want a relationship with God? Can they trust God? Because what about these people that they trusted that have misrepresented God? Um, That's really where we've been for the past Mm -hmm. few years. Um, We are Christians. Um, We do try to follow Jesus every day. And lead our children that way, but it's really hard after going through a shattering faith um, experience like we did. Um, and
0: it's totally understandable if you've experienced that kind of spiritual trauma in a church setting that your gut reaction would be to have nothing more to do with God. Yeah, I understand that because. I went through that process mentally wondering if this was it if we should ju- if I was just done with Christianity entirely now that's not where I landed and I understand if that's where you are but I think the the key issue comes down to that you were lied to about who God was and that's why it's so hard to separate god from these controlling abusive church situations because that's not who god is but it's hard to see him separate from that when that's what you've grown up in or that's what you were trained in so that part of it is we want to shed a light on where the wrong teaching is what are these What are these things that have been taught that are actually not in line with who God is and not in line with what the Bible says, but have been so ingrained in our thinking that we can't separate them? Um, That's part of our burden in in sharing what we've learned and what we've studied and some of the thoughts that we've had along the way.
1: And if you're wondering why this even matters, um, we've seen people who are just like, Forget church, forget God, move on with my life. And then we've seen people who are more like, yes, I know these bad things are happening, but you know, you could just go to a different church. No church is perfect. You don't want to become bitter. That's a big one. We will be talking about bitterness and <laughs> how it doesn't mean what you think it means in the mm-hmm. Bible. I, I see people who they see the wrongdoing in these churches and they do nothing about it and they sit back for whatever reason they have. And we're talking about it because it does matter. And it's about more than just, it's about more than just us. It's not just one church. It matters because people's faith is being shattered. And oh my, I have to mention that oh, hideous meme. Um, so we're not on Facebook anymore. I mean, we still have accounts, but like we're not actively on much. I am not at all because I can't stand it at this point. Um, but there was a meme, it's, that was going around that said something to the effect that um now I can't remember what it was exactly um basically if your if your faith in God was hurt because of because of people or because of church then your faith was in people not God and oh that makes me so mad (laughs) because yes your faith should be in God but that doesn't mean that the people who claim to represent him can treat you however they want. And, oh, you still have to just trust God. You can't be bitter. That's where a lot of people are are pushed to that side. To, their concerns are pushed to the side. And people sit back and like, oh, I'm just going to forgive them and I'm just not going to be bitter. Well, good for you. But other people are getting trampled all over. And maybe they can't have that same reaction. Maybe they are faced with it in such a way that it's not possible to move on until this has been dealt with. We have to talk about it. It's destroying people's lives. It's destroying their mental health. It's destroying their spiritual health. Mm-hmm. It's de- And it has destroyed their view of God. And do you care if you are a Christian, if you claim to love God and you go to church, do you care what other people think of God? If you care how God looks to other people, then you need to care about this because this is distorting the image of God and it's it's very dishonoring to him spiritual abuse it is a heinous offense against God is what it is at the at the root of it because it's distorting who he is
0: it's destroying people's faith and for someone to sit back and say well it's not my place to deal with or I don't think I can do anything about it. It's big enough to deal with. It's destroying people's faith in God. It needs to be addressed. Um some of the some of the, this podcast comes from the fact that we've been having these discussions about the underlying theology. What is it that makes people believe this way or act this way? How did this come to be? how did spiritual abuse come to be so rampant in churches and be accepted as normal? And we've been having these discussions sometimes at length, sometimes late at night. And we figured let's turn on a microphone and share with the rest of you, the things that we've been learning and the things that we've been thinking through. And hopefully that can help you on a healing journey or you you can use it to help someone else who you've seen go through something like this, like it's something that's been helpful to us.
1: And we definitely aren't coming at it from a place that we have all the answers, and we're not going to be... We don't have all the answers. We're still looking for answers. We're still healing ourselves. We are not pushing a particular theological grid onto anybody. We're going to talk theology as it relates to spiritual abuse, but we're not going to talk theology regarding the kind of I know that I'll you know get shot for saying this for some people but petty arguments about like Calvinism versus Arminianism and you know the the timing of the rapture and you know your particular view on the millennium we're we're not gonna get into all that because it when it comes down to spiritual abuse that stuff doesn't matter so we're not talking about that
0: we're not trying we're not going to pin down a Specific theological position on everything. We're talking about theology that relates to spiritual abuse. We will actively try to be as inclusive as possible of various theological views in other areas because this happens in so many different churches.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't think, I have not read a book about spiritual abuse in D.I.F.B. Because it, I mean, that's a pretty niche section of Christianity. And it happens everywhere.
0: <laughs> yes, pretty much every book we've read, we see it described coming from a different denomination or a different kind of church or a church with a name that I've never heard of before. It's it's widespread. So we'll try to be as inclusive as possible of various theological views, but we will be... Sp- Looking specifically at certain theological concepts as they relate to spiritual abuse.
1: Right, and we are coming from an independent fundamental Baptist background, so we're talking about the theological positions that we are familiar with that undergird that movement. Um, So some of them might not be relatable to people in other circles, but that is our area of expertise. I cannot (laughs) speak to the the particular um, flawed theological positions outside of the IFB because we are not familiar with those.
0: So if something doesn't sound familiar to you, just bear with us. It probably sounds familiar to somebody else. Hopefully it's helpful. The core concepts we're going for should apply across a fairly broad spectrum. So we hope that that is helpful.
1: Right. So um, we have spiritual trauma. We, we talked about spiritual abuse and what that is. And spiritual trauma is in the name of our podcast. Um, that's really what we're, we're looking for. Um, just kind of our search for what does normal life look like when you've been um, affected by this so much. Um, so we wanted to also mention what it's not. So we did talk about what spiritual abuse is. And we talk, wanted to talk about what it's not as well briefly.
0: Spiritual trauma or spiritual abuse is not being raised in a home with religious beliefs. Um, that in itself is not spiritual abuse. Um, it's not. It's also not someone talking to you respectfully about their beliefs or trying to share their beliefs with you respectfully. Uh, another way I could put it is proselytizing is not necessarily spiritually abusive. Now, if someone is pushy or just doesn't respect boundaries and keeps pushing their beliefs on you, that's a different thing. But just having someone try to share their beliefs with you doesn't mean you've experienced spiritual abuse. People People throw different terms around all the time. We're going to use spiritual trauma and spiritual abuse probably the most frequently. But Every book you read, every author you read is going to, you know, maybe use a slightly different term, use slightly different wording, but they're going for the same core concept many times.
1: Yeah. um, Growing up in a religious home can result in spiritual trauma, but it's not, it depends, obviously depends on the home. Just like, you know, growing up attending a church, it doesn't have to be spiritually abusive, but it could be. So we're not saying that it, you know, just because your if your parents had religious beliefs that it wasn't traumatizing, but it wasn't necessarily, um, and it, it could have been. So, um, it just depends on the, the particular situation, but we're not just trying to broad brush everybody who, oh, I grew up in a religious home. So like now I'm traumatized for life. Um, cause we went to, you know, because my parents prayed before every meal or, you know, things like that. But, if they acted abusively because of their religious beliefs and were controlling because of those, then yes, that would be spiritually abusive. Um, And I I preferred to use the term trauma. Um, I mean, spiritual abuse is what we're most familiar with, so we'll probably just default to that a lot. But in the title of our podcast, I like to use trauma because... um, people re- are reacting to the word abuse now because it is used a lot and
0: abuse seems to be a very harsh word yeah it's, and it's also used most frequently to describe things that are very tangible yes you know you know physical abuse where someone was literally beaten with mm-hmm. an object or fists or something that's something very tangible that leaves physical marks something that leaves physical consequences. Spiritual abuse is a little harder to pin down because the scars are in your the very core of your beliefs or they're emotional scars, and you can't see them. So it's a little bit... People react to that term being used in that context because it's harder to identify, but it's very real trauma.
1: Right, and, and abuse almost... Um... You think of trauma as being something a little bit longer lasting. Abuse is like Mm -hmm. the instance, and then you think of trauma as like you're still feeling the effects of it, and we definitely are um, years out. Every Um, day. I went to college in 2006. I graduated in 2011, and we moved away from that church in 2016, right? Yes. Yes. So we were there for, oh, I guess we were there for four years after you graduated from seminary. Five years after I graduated from college. Right. Um, And then we were only at that other church for one more year and haven't been in a spiritually abusive church since. And we are still feeling the effects of it, sometimes pretty severely. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it it takes a long time to recover. Um, So that's why I wanted to mention that.
0: So the, one of the most common ways you can identify an abusive church, a, a church where spiritual abuse is happening, um, it would be a situation where it, the church organization or the pastor or some combination of both would be very controlling. It would be a high control environment is a term you can, you'll sometimes see. We wanted to go through and just, give you an idea of what that looks like what is a high control church look like
1: and this is a list that i found online about controlling groups and we will put a link to that website in the show notes just to give them credit for that it is not something that i came up with but it just was a really good um condensed version of the characteristics that um are, are mentioned really across all the books that we've read um, most of these characteristics are included in them. The group displays excessively zealous and unquestioning commitment to its leader. The thing that comes to mind with this first one is a conversation that I had with one of my really good friends from college, and um, she grew up at that church and still there. And at the time that we had this conversation, and it was after we had been gone for a bit. Um, and I was trying to talk with her about some of these things that we've been talking with you all about. And I mentioned the pastor not being innocent of this, of these things, um, that he was guilty of spiritual abuse as well. Um, and I mentioned a particular that I had heard, granted it was hearsay, but I had heard it from someone um, pretty close that was a, a very telling remark that he had made. And um, and she to try, I'm trying to convince her, like, he's not innocent. And she just, she would believe anything about anyone else, but not about the pastor. It was scary. It it actually really jarred me. And the same, um, within the, a few days or a couple weeks of actually having that conversation with her, I had a similar conversation with someone else who would believe anything about any other person there, but not the pastor like he could do no wrong he doesn't know this is happening he would never say that um
0: there's the unquestioning yes commitment like, to the leader the mm-hmm. the
1: person that you're talking like that told you that must be wrong or you know we're gonna cast them in in doubt because the pastor could never do that he could never say that so that's the unquestioning commitments and it's really frightening It sometimes um all right, second thing, questioning, doubt, and dissent in the group are discouraged or punished.
0: So even asking certain questions right.
1: no, yes, not, will,
0: be, will be, you'll have consequences just for asking certain questions.
1: Not even with an attitude. Right. Just being curious. Mm-hmm. Um, the leadership dictates sometimes in great detail how members should think, act, and feel. So, for example, permission to date, change jobs, or marry, or the leaders prescribe what to wear, where to live, whether to have children, how to discipline children, etc.
0: That sounds like a topic that it will take maybe five different episodes to cover all of those specific things. (laughs) Oh, yes. We'll get into it. Yes, we
1: will be talking about
0: that. That may sound familiar if you have been in or are in a high-control church. Yes.
1: Stay tuned for our courtship episode. <laughs> <laughs> that will be fun. All right, the group is elitist claiming a special exalted status for itself. Now that might sound kind of like, well, Baptist churches don't do that, but I tell you what, every Baptist Church, <laughs> maybe not every Baptist Church. I won't be so, you know, no glittering generalities there, but I know of the ones that are abusive, they act like they are the only church in the area that is preaching the truth that is teaching what the Bible really says, that has the right standards, that dresses the right way, listens to the right music. They have this correct view on this particular doctrine. Um, So,
0: but that's the special status for the group itself. So yeah, that is, that
1: is very common. Um, The group has a polarized us versus them mentality. And it really goes along with what we just mentioned. Like we're the only ones you guys are the bad guys. We're the good guys. Um, the leader is not accountable to any authorities. While spiritual abuse can and does happen in a variety of denominations, I don't know how other denominations are set up, um, other lesser known, um, but like IFB churches, they have their own, they have a pastor, they have a senior pastor. There is not a bishop overseeing like a number of pastors or a... I don't know. I don't know how other denominations work exactly, but there's no one overseeing them. They, they don't answer to a committee or an organization. Like, they are it. They can be the king of their church.
0: The IFB can be particularly susceptible to it because they don't have that ecclesiastical right. hierarchy because that you've got in another denomination.
1: they are independent.
0: Right. Which,
1: you know, in their name, Independent Fundamental Baptist. Like, mm-hmm. that's how they're set up. So it can become... Um, Very much little kingdoms um, without the pastor being accountable to anybody else. Um, The group teaches or implies that its supposedly exalted ends justify whatever means it deems necessary. And that would include dishonesty, mishandling of money, um, you know, how it treats people in the church, whatever. The leadership induces feelings of shame and or guilt in order to influence and control members
0: and that in a church context would would be often takes the shape of if you don't do this thing you're not following what god wants for us yes. or if you don't if you don't make this commitment then you're not right with god yes. that's what it would look like in a church context
1: Subservience to the group requires members to cut ties with family and friends and radically alter the personal goals and activities they had before joining the group.
0: This can happen sometimes slowly in a church context. And sometimes I think it happens sometimes more in a, in a Bible college or institution context, possibly. Yeah. But I found, I found that over the time that I was at that, the college church i i grew quite distant from extended family mm-hmm. my immediate family was there so they were at least present but extended family i got quite distant from and i didn't realize that you know recently i've tried to actually restore some of those relationships but it yet they can very slowly it just pulls you away Mm -hmm. from anyone who isn't part of the group whether that's family friends outside anything like that
1: and i wanted to mention the um radically alter the personal goals now if someone grew up in the ifb it it's not even like they had goals to be altered a lot of times it's more like if you want to be a spiritual person, you will become, for a for a guy, because women aren't allowed to have positions of spiritual leadership, if you are a guy, you will be called to preach. And for a girl, like, well, you're going to marry a pastor or an evangelist or become a Christian mm-hmm. school teacher, and you need to surrender to these things. And all the really good spiritual kids, that's what you do. Forget any goals you might even have, you know, you haven't even thought of yet. Like, that's that's your destiny i mean that don't use the word destiny because that's you know that's like a worldly word anyway but (laughs) that is that is god's will i mean you know that's how they put it um so it doesn't really matter honestly it doesn't really matter to them whether god wants you to do it or not because oh we're just going to assume god wants everybody to do this because that's the most spiritual thing you can do right so anyway it's like you're not even you don't even get to have goals (laughs) if you grow up in that uh, the group is preoccupied with bringing in new members
0: and this is not this is not talking about wanting to share Jesus with people. This is not talking about wanting other people to become Christians as much as it is wanting people to join your church
1: numbers it's all numbers mm-hmm um, I know of one Christian college. I had a friend who went there and they were required to present the plan of salvation from the Bible to people when they went out soul winning every week. I think they, like, they were required to present it a certain number of times or at least present it once, um, which is like, wow, that's really Holy spirit leading, isn't it? And then at, um, when I was in college and I was teaching in the um, the youth Sunday school department, there was this emphasis one semester on getting Sunday school enrollees and they had our like all of our names as teachers up on the wall and had us like showing how many people we had enrolled for how Sunday many people school We
0: brought into like, the group all, and yep.
1: I man I did terribly and I went <laughs> out like at least I don't know once twice a week to talk to people and I felt like I had really good conversations with people and God really directed us but I had the hardest time figuring out like, I must be doing something wrong. I must be spiritually lacking because I don't have mm-hmm. the numbers. That That's so messed up. <laughs> because
0: sometimes sharing God with somebody, sharing your experience with God, sharing what God wants you to, or doesn't just, always translate the same way. Just
1: <laughs> meeting people's needs yeah. doesn't always or usually or maybe ever result in Sunday school enrollment. <laughs> Never know. Um, All right. Members are expected to devote inordinate amounts of time to the group and group related activities. I would say that is where I lost, like, I became distant from my family and friends um, when I went to college. Not because I, well, with friends somewhat, it was like, oh, well, they're not on the same page. Like, now I'm this ultra spiritual person and they just don't have the same values. Like, Okay, number one, so prideful, so legalistic, but and that was insinuated, implied in the teaching there. But also, they just—I had so much to do, and it wasn't just like normal college stuff. Like, you didn't get time off because if Mm. you had any downtime, that was that was a waste of time. You should be doing something ministry-related. So, you know, it, it was like talking with family and friends is a waste of time, like. You should be doing other stuff. And
0: And another way this could manifest itself in in a high control church that doesn't have any schools associated with it would be that concept of being at church, quote unquote, every time the doors are open, no matter what. I'm sure a lot of churches have a lot of activities. And most of the time, it would be that those different activities are focused on perhaps different groups of people who are free at different times to give them time to spend together and to fellowship. But when that becomes everyone needs to be at every function and activity the church has, you're stepping into yes. a high-control environment where you have to be here.
1: Well, I remember one time at the second church we were at, the mm-hmm. the one we were only at for a year, um, we it was in a very – um busy town like to go shopping took us a really long time and there was so Chris was working at the church part time and also doing his um his his work from home that he does full time now and we had to go out shopping um later like in the late afternoon for some reason I don't even remember why exactly but it was a week of revival meetings at the church and um, like, I, I wasn't scheduled for music or anything that night, I, I don't think. And you know, we didn't have any responsibilities except to be there. And we had um, three little kids, and our shopping trip ended up taking longer just because of traffic. It was just crazy. We're still trying to get settled into a new place and, mm-hmm. and all this. And that, we couldn't make it. We didn't make it to the meeting, like, because... Life, <laughs> yeah. and yep. that didn't go down well. Um, yeah, if
0: that is a huge problem, if if life happening means you can't make it to one single church event,
1: even if you've been to all the rest of them,
0: right? If it's one, if that becomes a big problem, you are dealing with a high control church. That's yeah. a dangerous sign
1: because nothing you can do. It's like no, your other your attendance at the other nights doesn't make up for you missing this one. because um, you just needed to be there. Um, yeah, that's a huge problem. A lot of stories like that. All right, the group is preoccupied with making money, which might not seem big on the outside, but it's like think about where where are all their offerings going every week that everybody is really urged to give to? Where is that money going? Is it going to people who need it? Like is what they do in the New Testament or is it going to maintain the functioning of all the programs and the building and the the salaries mm-hmm. to keep the organization up and running. And
0: then special projects will result in special offerings. That's how that can look. Now yes. if a church is if a church has decided, you know, if a church really has decided that they're going to they're going to make a push to keep this big fund they have so that they can meet needs. I guess that's fine. They can decide to do that, but when it when it's this constant push of oh, give extra to this, give ex- extra to that so we can do this and oh, give more yeah. to this. And it's just more and more and more and more and more. That's a concerning sign. That's dangerous.
1: The first church, that, the first abusive church that we t- were in so many offerings, especially towards the end of it, we were just like, mm-hmm. we're just going to give money to people who need it. <laughs> <laughs> so forget that. Um, but
0: We'll talk about giving in another
1: episode. Yes, tithing. Um, but... It, and it's presented so it's not going to look like give us all your like it's it's not going to be as obvious even as like a televangelist <laughs> like true send us send us in a hanky and for 50 bucks we'll bless it and you'll be healed or, or whatever however that works but it's going to look like the i mean in baptist churches the way that baptist churches function if you're not familiar with it at least independent fundamental baptist churches um the congregation typically um Votes to approve spending a large amount of money, or to, uh, or to approve a larger project that will require a large amount of money, um, and it's different, uh, you know, a little bit in different churches, but basically that's how they all work, and it's it's very democratic, which is good, but even that system can be abused. The pastor would come in in this church, and he would basically say, "It's God's will that we do this. Okay, let's take a vote." And, you know, it was longer than that. But basically, this is God's will. I've talked with the deacons and we have basically decided that it's God's will and we're going to, you know, to do this thing. So let's vote for it. Well, what can you say? Can you vote against God's will?
0: And that's where the spiritual (laughs) abuse comes in, because it's someone else, a human being in a position of leadership, stepping in and saying, this is what God wants you to do. When there's no clear scriptural command for that, right? That's so. That's how that. That's how that looks.
1: Okay, we'll. T- I'll try to move faster through these others because then Chris is going to go through a list about um, leaders. What leaders look like in these groups? Okay. Um, members are encouraged or required to live and or socialize only with other group members.
0: That hits on what we said before, as far as you find yourself yeah. at a distance with extended family, with friends who are not part of the group. You find yourself at increasing distance with that because so, your social group becomes the same as your church right. group.
1: So it's not necessarily a commune, um, but, you know, if you were in the church and you were looking for a roommate, you know, a lot of these churches, you you would be discouraged from having what they would call an unsaved roommate or you know a roommate who goes to a different denomination or something like that i mean even if you're just looking to share an apartment with someone to share the share the cost something like that the most loyal members feel there can be no life outside the context of the group they believe there is no other way to be and often fear reprisals to themselves or others if they leave or even consider leaving the group and that is why we stayed there for four years of misery because we felt like, because Chris had trained in the seminary to be a pastor, he thought that's what God had called him to do. Not just any pastor, an IFB pastor, because that's the only right thing, right? And if we left that church, even to go to another IFB church, which is what we would have done at the time, right? And we left without their blessing, without their permission, gone to one with, you know, lower standards, heaven forbid. We we feared we we were sure it would be destroying Chris's career. Mm-hmm. He could never be a pastor because we he would get blasted by the leadership from that church, and they would send out the word: "Do not hire this guy. He's a rebel, or he's he's bitter, or he's not on." You know that nebulous term. Um, hmm. So that and yes. this
0: in a in a normal church member context. Um, this can go with some IFB churches and other denominations too, but what, what I've seen in IFB churches, this can go as far as a literal shunning where if you leave the church without their express approval for some reason, then literally no one from the church will talk to you again, or it can just be that general disapproval you know everybody you know you fear you know there's going to be that disapproval and you're going to be the topic of conversation within the church once you leave everybody's going to oh they left you know that's so and sad. you know
1: and that because you've heard other people become it. the topic so of that's conversation. that's how
0: that can look it, there's yes. a couple of different ways that that can function but then you're dealing with a high control church
1: and when that's your host your whole social circle, because you've become alienated from your friends and your family members. You leave and you got nobody.
0: Mm -hmm. And
1: I I mean, we're still looking for friends. (laughs) (laughs) Like we our friend circle now feels so so small. Um so yeah, it's it's not a fun place to be. Okay. And then just two more things. People who leave the group without permission are denounced as bitter or rebellious.
0: Kinda Um, goes hand in hand with what we just talked
1: about. And then all other viewpoints, besides those of the group, are considered invalid. So it really isolates you from any other outside voices that could help you and could even help you transition out of the group. Even if you want to leave, you you don't trust anybody hmm. that's not in the group. So it's very isolating. Yep. And those... Controlling groups are led usually by toxic leaders. And this list is from?
0: This list is from a book that we'll talk a little bit more about in a minute. Um, a book called Broken Trust by F. Ramey Diederich. Um, one of the best books I've read on spiritual abuse. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute. But controlling groups are, are usually led by a toxic leader. Um, These are some characteristics you will notice in a toxic leader. In a Christian context, they will not demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit. Um, If you remember that list, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness. And that, so look at that list, look at the leader. They will not conform to that list. And they're not consciously trying to go against it, but... You're not going to see those things in a toxic leader. You're just not. You're going to see the opposite. Um, They can seek a minimalist structure of accountability for themselves. They may technically be accountable to a group um, such as a deacon board or um, some group of staff or some other pastor who's technically a mentor, but there really is no... There's no hard and fast accountability to somebody else um, from a toxic leader. They'll put they'll often make a show of it, but it's not it's not really substantive. Another thing is that you can they will expect behavior from others that they don't expect of themselves. and this is kind of like that inconsistency we talked about where the leader says this is what everyone needs to do. This is the right thing. this is what God wants everybody to do. But they won't hold themselves to it. Then you're dealing with a toxic leader who's, who, yes, keeps a very strict standard for everybody else, but will cut corners himself because, well, he's the leader. He's automatically spiritual. So that's, that will sometimes demonstrate itself that way. A toxic leader will see almost everyone else as inferior to themselves, We'll get into this more in another episode, but there definitely is a sense of superiority on the sense of a lot of IFB pastors. They're they're a cut above everybody else. They're on a pedestal to some degree compared to just the normal church member, um, and it can go in tiers. There's you know there's deacons, there's church staff, then there's head pastors. I mean, it, it can look different ways, but you'll you'll feel that distance between the leader. And the member
1: sometimes they the leader is actually a deacon board I haven't True. personally experienced this but I have read about it that mm-hmm. there can be deacon boards that they run the show and the pastor is has to do whatever they say um, where so, they are yeah, the som- ones on the pedestal yes. they're the
0: toxic leaders yeah.
1: you know sometimes it can be switched around so, a bit but.
0: like you said before I'm saying pastor a lot it's not because I've got some Grudge against pastors. It's just because that's very often how it works in this context. But yes, it can work in other ways. A toxic leader will very often show favoritism. A lot of times, that will demonstrate itself as nepotism. You'll see, you'll see a a pastor or a leader hire family members or relatives, um, whether direct family members or distant family members. But you'll see the favoritism and if even if it's not family members, it can happen both ways. But uh, there are plenty of examples of nepotism in um, IFB churches for sure. Um, a toxic leader can have frequent angry outbursts as well. Um, you just see that anger again, it's not demonstrating the fruit of the spirit. I
1: would say especially when when you find you can't control somebody, It makes you angry when you feel like you have a right to control them Mm -hmm. and they will not do what you say. I feel like that's what we experienced in that second church. The sermons just kind of became angry outbursts. Very possibly, yes. Um, Just, they feel the control slipping. Mm -hmm. Um,
0: Because a toxic leader, we talked about, so in a controlling church, they're often led by toxic leaders. So you can look at the church system and maybe you recognize some of the things we talked about. Or you see a toxic leader, you recognize some of the things that... But it's about control. Toxic leaders just crave control. So, yes, you'll see the anger come when they can't control somebody. They don't just let them go and, oh, well, there's there's going to be an anger there because they, they, they want that control over everybody. Um, toxic leaders will say one thing to some people but different things to others. You'll see that dishonesty, the sort of playing both ends against the middle sometimes, the manipulation, trying to paint things the best, what, tell everybody what they wanna hear, but basically to always make themselves look good. Um, they will use people as a means to an end and quickly reject them if they don't serve the leader's purpose. So instead of being a church leader or a pastor who is there to meet people's needs, the people, the members in a church, are there to make the programs function and make the church look good to everybody else, and they're they're part of the machinery. And thereby rather get than, more members, right? To be par- useful, <laughs> they're part of the machinery rather than the purpose. An individual f- whose needs need to be met yes. and who's, who has a unique purpose in God's plan. So it, it they're part of the machinery, which means they can be ground up and spit out. If they're not, you know, if they're not serving their purpose, they can be tossed aside and they'll find someone else to fill that spot.
1: And having been ground up and spit out, we know that that is a very painful experience. And I'm going to say we're not we're not perfect. We are not trying to play the victim card and oh, poor us, because anybody that knows us from our college days especially could say like, yeah, we were definitely well greased parts of the machinery yeah we were part of the process and mm-hmm. I'm sure that we that we were part of hurting people um, along mm-hmm. the way because that's what we were trained to do we were trained to make the machinery run and yeah. um, and to- we've
0: been blessed in the the last couple of years to have a few opportunities to to express to people that I'm sorry if we were part of hurting you as part of that machine but that's That was a very good way to, you know, that's how you succeed in some of these controlling IFB churches is to, you know, play your part in the machine to perfection and be part of that system and do your part.
1: So it's not, but we're not making excuses because those were our choices. And if there was a time, if anybody's listening to this that knows us from those days and has something um we would be happy if you reached out to us. And if you, even if you don't want to, I totally understand that because our names were closely, especially Chris's name (laughs) was closely (laughs) associated with some, um, very, um, um, probably really triggering, um, names from that time. So we do apologize and there's no excuse, no matter how we were trained or, or whatever, it Mm -hmm. was our choice to act that way. But, um, we are we are very different now. <laughs> so, um, but yes. we
0: understand what it is to be part of the to part of the leader's yes. machinery. That's yes. put in place, and
1: we understand what it is to be ground up and spit out, like you said. Yep. So that <laughs> we we have gotten our just desserts. If you ever wondered,
0: <laughs> um, toxic leaders are manipulative. They will. They will use little tricks to try to get you to make certain decisions. We can go into manipulation in more detail another time. Um, They lack transparency. There's always, you're never, if you're not the leader or you're not part, maybe if you're not part of the inner circle, even if you are sometimes, you're not, you don't have the whole picture. You don't know everything that's going on. Even little things, toxic leaders just like to keep some secrets so that they're the ones in the know, but you won't see transparency from them for sure. Um, they will not allow for pushback or disagreement. There's just no room with a toxic leader for any argument, um, for any disagreement, even respectful questions of, are you sure that's the right thing to do in this context? Uh, what about this alternative that maybe we haven't thought about? You can't question anything. You can't disagree.
1: And if you, if you do, you're not even criticizing, not just, just curiosity or just maybe even communicating something that a personal belief of yours or a way that God is directing you, they'll use these buzzwords on you like bitter and um, react because that implies that you are acting on your feelings. Feelings are bad or you're angry. Um, so we've had, I've had that one pulled on me. Um, mm-hmm. in a situation where I very carefully thought through my response and knew for a fact I wasn't reacting. <laughs> um, right. So if you right. try to, that you can't, there, there's nothing you can do. They'll slap these words on you and immediately you become unspiritual and untrustworthy. You're, you're not, um, you're not, you're, um you're not credible because you reacted or you're bitter and it becomes about that instead of about what you were even trying to question them about.
0: It's a def- it's, the they, they it's, put, it's the way they deflect the way they deflect to it's avoid dealing with dis- actual disagreement. Um, so just a few more things. Toxic leaders will surround themselves with yes men or yes people. Um,
1: Usually men. <laughs> we'll talk about possibly. patriarchy another time. Yeah, we'll
0: talk about patriarchy another time. <laughs> Um, But they'll surround themselves with people who will just tell them yes, who will, you know, some of this builds and you can see a pattern, you see how it all works together. But these are just different angles that you might recognize and see like, oh, I've seen that happen before. Um, Toxic leaders communicate poorly. Um, They won't tell you what's going on. They, They will seem to communicate paradoxically at times. They just don't.
1: But they talk a lot about communication. They want you to communicate to them but right. they are not obligated to communicate downwards
0: mm-hmm. um, they're self-absorbed um, very often you can you can feel like you have made a good impression or you're getting close to a leader only to find out that they really don't remember anything because it like you weren't important or something I've had that happen in situations where it's like they you're totally irrelevant because they're absorbed in what they're doing or what their plans are and if you fit that, Great, you seem to be popular, and then if you don't, you are suddenly invisible. It, they're very self-absorbed. Um, they, this goes along with some of the things we talked about. They dodge, they deflect, they rationalize, they minimize, or just reject criticism outright with no logical reasoning behind it, just that that's wrong because it disagrees with me, basically. Um, but we, we talked a little bit about the deflecting. They'll, they'll, they'll put the blame back on the person who criticized to begin with. Um, they'll intimidate people with their insistent and persuasive biblical arguments. They will, kind of like what we talked about in that the church we were in for just a year felt like we were being beat over the head with the Bible at at times. Just take that biblical argument and try to intimidate people with it. I have a biblical argument. You can't argue with me. Um, But they will twist the scripture to support their claims or their plans. They will... They will shield themselves from critics. They'll complain that they're being persecuted. Again, it put, makes the problem person the the critic, the person who, who had a question, the person who had another perspective. That person becomes the problem. They'll turn the criticism back on that person. They'll slap them with labels. They'll-
1: And then it becomes about yeah. that person being the problem and whatever was really being brought into question Get swept to the side and mm-hmm. never has to get dealt with.
0: Right. They, they can insist on their agenda despite the concern of others. So if even in a theoretically open forum planning meeting, if you have a toxic leader, you'll find out whatever idea that the leader brings is what's going to end up happening. Everything else will get shot, shot down for one reason or another. Um, I feel even like- if there's concerns about it and the things well maybe we should change that plan to be better
1: i feel like you could even talk about this i mean all of these things you can think of we're talking about a church setting it can happen in a marriage it can happen in a home yes this particularly brought to mind in um very patriarchal marriages um and like we said we will be talking about patriarchy um that you know the husband can say well this is what we're gonna do even you know using like this is god's will for us to do this and the wife might raise some concerns but she's gonna just get brushed aside and right. and that's
0: that's a toxic leader that could be
1: a spiritually abusive and, situation yeah, that's, as that's well toxic that is not a biblical right of a husband to right. do that regardless of what you may have heard <laughs> from pulpits
0: yep we or will books. definitely talk about that um and lastly, toxic leaders will justify, and we've reiterated this, they will justify their agenda by saying that God told them. Um, when you're dealing with a spiritual leader, they theoretically, at least in their mind and the way they present it to the church or the family, the, the faith group, whatever it is, is, they have a special relationship with God. And so, like you mentioned, the pastor comes and says, it's God's will for us to do this now the church votes on it well what what's what's that going to do because he's he's already played the played the trump card there with god told me you know it's god's will so um yeah and we will we'll talk about some things in more detail but that's that's some examples of toxic leaders um some things you might have seen hopefully not but chances again, are you've seen them happen.
1: And again that list is from the book Broken Trust and I think most of the list he was actually quoting the work of another author as well, but you can find that list in there.
0: That's yeah, that's that's that'll be a great a great book. So, we've gone through a few things here just to give you an overview. What is it we're talking about when we get into spiritual trauma? What is it that we're going for? Why are we talking about this? Why are we dealing with this um so, hopefully, that gives you a bird's eye view, an overview of the topics we will hit on in coming episodes. Um, I do want to mention that one thing that came out of this is that we started a company called Grace and Peace Publications because we, as we were going on this journey, we felt that as often as it's mentioned in the New Testament, the Christianity we'd seen was awfully lacking in grace and peace and we thought what do we want to share with people what do we want to put out and that that seemed to encapsulate it so um we have a website for graceandpeacepublications.com there's a resource list on there that's quite extensive we will highlight a resource every episode at the end of the episode, so you'll get some idea of what those are, but if you want to go and browse, feel free to do that. Um, we use the Grace and Peace Publications label to put out other things. We've, we we have put out music or that we feel like speaks to these truths. Um, hopefully in the future we can put out articles or books that address some of these things, but... Uh, so, uh, but that would be the website where to find a list of a bunch of resources if you want to browse yeah, through those. That's at the some most point.
1: important thing on there, is that, that list yep. of resources.
0: So, for episode number one, the, the featured resource, we've mentioned it already a couple of times, is the book Broken Trust by F. Remy Diederich. And we've read just in trying to find in our own healing journey things that help us understand what's going on and how to recover from them, how to help other people. We've read a lot of books and that stands out as one of the best. So we're going to mention it first. Um, anything you want to say? Specifically I think about it's it?
1: really unique because he has quotes from people who have experienced spiritual abuse. Um, he he, I think he asks them questions and then he has like their responses to particular questions throughout the book. And that's really, I haven't seen that really in any other um, books. And it's, it's really helpful because some of them you can relate to and some of them you can't. But like the more people, the more personal stories that there are, mm-hmm. the more likely you are to find one that you're going to relate to. And mm-hmm. just knowing that someone else went through something Similar to what you did, it's very comforting and it's definitely healing just to know I'm not alone. And they went through that too. Not that you're happy someone else experienced the pain, but just that you're not crazy and your 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 pain is not unjustified. You 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 wonder when you're going through this stuff: Am I overreacting? Am I and it's very helpful to have those things from from several different perspectives all in one book, and he just really lays it out i think more than any other book we've read mm-hmm. as as well um he he has a clearer view of like what what leads up to spiritual abuse mm-hmm. um and the legalism other books mention legalism as well, but um it's very easy to read it's very it's very clear, and he talks about his personal um, journey in there um so and he's yeah. had a
0: variety of experiences so it touches yes. on a lot of different a lot of different experiences and it's not terribly long either yes. we're not talking about a you know a big thick volume here it's these it's it's fairly short so you could read through it and um but that's that's definitely one to check out one of the i would recommend that is one of the first ones to read if you're if you're first getting into this.
1: And you could recommend that to somebody. um, It would be a good one to recommend to someone that you know has maybe gone through a hurtful um, church experience or, you know, a harmful spiritual experience, you know, other with other people. Um, And you think, well, I don't know anybody like that. Well, you do. Trust me. You do know someone like that. Um, Mm -hmm. Maybe if you are you know, a lifelong atheist and only know other lifelong atheists. Maybe you don't know anybody like that. <laughs> but um but
0: chances <laughs> are you have an acquaintance or a coworker or someone else that you know even if you're not aware of it. Chances are there is someone you know that's experienced something like that. It's yeah. unfortunately quite common.
1: I had this book with me when I went when I took one of my kids to the dentist um like a year or two ago. And I was just reading, you know, while we're waiting for the dentist and the hygienist asked me like, what was the book? And it, it's like this, this black cover with like a, a tunnel, like a light at the end of the tunnel thing on it and broken trust. Like it, you know, it could be any number of things. And she asked me, I'm like, oh man, how am I going to explain this without sounding like an, a, a wacko, you know, <laughs> like spiritual abuse. Like no one's heard of spiritual abuse. I had never heard of it before a couple, you know, a few years ago. And I experienced. Explained it to her and she's like oh i i think that happened to me and and there was some mm-hmm. another situation like that i don't think it was that i had this book but i mentioned it to some like there are people everywhere that have gone through hurtful church situations we like to pretend that it's of their own making because that's easier to handle, to think, well, those people, they were hurt by the church. It's their problem. It must have been them. That's why they left. And we don't we don't go after them. We, we don't try to show them who God is because we want to say that it's their problem and just pretend like it's not the church because it's a lot easier to just to it's blame hard. it on them, to let them go because, oh, now they're not here anymore. No more problems. And... Every time something bad happens, someone gets hurt, they leave. Then we don't have to face the problems. It's hard to deal with a fun.
0: It's hard to deal with a fundamental problem and to evaluate. Is there something that is just wrong with the foundation of how we do things? Um, So it's not easy to deal with, but we're going to step through it topic by topic and share some of what we've learned and share some of our journey. And hopefully that can help you in your journey as well to find healing, to help show grace and healing to other people as well. Cause unfortunately it's out there. There's a lot of, a lot of this is out there.
1: Yeah, We've covered a lot in this first episode. Um, and I'm, I don't think future episodes will be this long or we will break them up into shorter episodes if they end up being long Mm -hmm. um, because they will be definitely more topical. um, Mm -hmm. We'll be dealing with specific issues today. We covered a lot just to give you an overview. If you made it through the whole thing, thank you so much for listening and we hope that you will um, join us for upcoming episodes. If that would be helpful to you
0: thanks for listening. See you next time. Finding Normal is a production of Grace and Peace Publications, copyright 2021. Our hosts are Chris and Rachel Nobile. Our theme song is by the band Young Presidents. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information, contact us at graceandpeacepublications.com.